Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here. You guide us into truth. You lead us in truth. You help us understand truth. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for your truth to be revealed through Scripture. And then, Lord, you'd help us to to not only understand it, but to apply it in our lives this week so we can be different people in the world that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have a Bible this morning, turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 5. We're going to jump in there in just a second. We are in a series called The Life. It's a study in John's Gospel. If you can find the New Testament, it's the fourth book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Uh, We'll jump into verse 31 in just a minute. So I was never really interested in criminal trials growing up until they were televised. So when I was growing up, they didn't, they didn't put cameras in the courtroom. And so we, we were left watching the news to, to watch what they call artists' renderings of the trial. Remember these? Remember these artist sketches of the trial? Boring. Who cares about that? But all of that changed in 1994 when this happened. Huh? Remember that? How many of you remember the O.J. Simpson trial? Yeah. We lived about 20 minutes from the courthouse where all this was happening. And we were, we were mesmerized uh, for days, watching all of the witnesses. It, it was the first reality TV show, really, that there was. Uh, all, you know, O.J. Simpson's uh, defense lawyers, F. Lee Bailey, and and all of those guys. Um, and, and, and as they brought the evidence out and you're, you're doing all, there's something, there's something captivating about watching a trial. It's like we, we put ourselves in the position of a juror and we, we watch as they, as they bring the evidence forward. And then we listen, to the, we listen to the witnesses on the witness stand, don't we? And we look at them physically, and we, we look at how they're dressed, and we kind of decide, do we believe them? Are they, are they credible and all that? And, and, and then at the end, we sort of make our decision, don't we? Guilty or, or innocent? What do we think before even the jury makes that decision? As we come to John, the Gospel of John, John writes the entire book as though he's a defense attorney defending the very claims and truths of Christianity. He writes it from the perspective of defending Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, as we're going to see in chapter 5, he, there are witnesses that are called to the witness stand. Um, what are the, the claims of Christianity? Uh, what, what are the, the truths that, that John might be defending in this story. Well, Christianity is the belief that God became human in the form of Jesus Christ, and that he lived a morally blameless and sinless life, that he died a criminal's death on a cross. Though he was innocent, he died for the guilty. That he died on a cross, a painful death, and was placed in a tomb. On the third day, he was resurrected from the grave, And for 40 days, he walked around appearing to his disciples. It says at one point he appeared in his resurrected body to over 500 people in the same place at the same time. After 40 days, it says of of, uh, demonstrating that he was alive through many convincing proofs, he went back to heaven. He ascended to the Father, where now he sits at the right hand of the Father, So that all who believe in Jesus Christ, that he is in fact the Son of God, have their sins forgiven, 
and receive eternal life. That's the, that's the, the essence of Christianity. And, and, and John, as he writes this gospel, particularly as we come to chapter five, it's like we're in a courtroom. And all of a sudden, the evidence of who Jesus is begins to come out. If you have the text in John chapter five, let me give you a little, little background. At the beginning of chapter five, Jesus heals a paralyzed man on the Sabbath. Well, that was a problem to the Jewish leaders because you weren't supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, you know, even healing someone and setting them free. You weren't supposed to do that. And so they began to, began to accuse Jesus, and Jesus basically says, the, the works that I'm doing, I'm doing on behalf of the Father, and me, me and the Father, we're one, and Jesus, by saying that he was equal to the Father, boy, that, that created a problem. And Jesus is now on trial. In John chapter five, God is gonna call some witnesses forward. I want you to, I want you to count the, the number of times in this text that you hear the word either testify or testimony, okay? John chapter five, beginning in verse 31. Jesus says, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, now Jesus is not saying that his self-assessment or his own words about himself are not true or accurate. He's not saying that. In, in Jewish courts and in the Jewish legal system, uh, a person could not just go into a courtroom and defend himself with his own testimony. That wasn't enough. Jesus is referencing uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, where it says, in a courtroom, a truth will be established based on the testimony of two or three eyewitnesses. So it's not enough for you to go in and testify about what happened in that situation from your perspective. You are going to be pardoned or released based on the testimony of two or three other people that saw the exact same thing. So Jesus isn't saying what I'm saying is a lie. He's saying it's not substantial. It's not, it's not enough evidence in a courtroom. Verse 32, there is another who testifies of me, and I know that the test testimony which he gives about me is true. He's talking about God the Father there. He says, then you have sent to John, that's a reference to the Jewish leaders when John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan Valley. A bunch of the, the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent people out to John to question him, to see who he was. You have sent to John, and John testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. John was the lamp that was burning, John the Baptist, and was shining in the wilderness, and you were willing to rejoice with him for a while in his light. Verse 36, but the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, or human testimony. Jesus says the testimony that I have is greater than John for the works or the miracles which the Father has given me to accomplish or to perform. The very miracles that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. Verse 37, and the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen God the Father's form. You don't have his word abiding in you because you don't believe in whom he sent, Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, God's word isn't in you. You don't know God because you've shut your heart to who Jesus Christ is. Verse 39, Jesus goes on. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it's these scriptures that testify 
about me, who I am. And you are unwilling to come to me that you might have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? In other words, you've rejected me as the Christ. How can you receive glory from God when you've rejected, you've closed your heart to the one that he sent? Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses. Now that's a reference to the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. Because if you believed Moses in his writings, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? John, the gospel is set up like a, like a trial. Jesus is on trial in this situation. And, and, and God calls four witnesses to the witness stand in John chapter five. If you're taking notes, you can follow along with me. The very first witness who's called to the stand is the prophets, the prophets. The prophets are called to testify. John the Baptist was a prophet. A prophet was someone who was sent by God to declare the truth that he had given to them. In a sense, prophets were witnesses. They, they were those that testified about the message of God, that it was true. They, they said, I've, I've heard from God. The word of the Lord has come to me. This is what God is saying. They declare the truth of God, or they witness to that truth. So we're going to go back to chapter 1 and look at, at the first introduction we have of John the Baptist, beginning in verse 6. John, the writer of the gospel, says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to do what? Say it real loud. To testify. So again, from the very beginning of this book, we have a courtroom scene, don't we? John was called to testify about the light. And we know from that chapter that Jesus is the light. He's the light of the world. So that all might believe through John's testimony. I did not recognize him, John said, but he, meaning God, who sent me to baptize people in water, God said to me, he upon whom you see the Holy Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Then John says, I myself have seen and have what? Testified that this is in fact the Son of God. John says, I've seen. God has spoken to me and I've identified by the Holy Spirit that this is in fact the Son of God. Now we come back to chapter 5, and again, John the writer is introducing us back to John the Baptist. Verse 33, he said, remember, you, you sent to John, you sent that, that group of people to find out what John was doing, and you found out that John testified to the truth. All right, how many times did we find that the word testify was used in that, in that verses we read? Do you remember? 12, 11, yeah, 11 times. Uh, the word is used. And, and the word for testify in the Greek is the Greek word martyreo. What does that sound like in English? Martyreo. Martyr, doesn't it? Do you, do you know what a martyr was? A martyr was so convinced that what he believed was true that he was willing to die for it. A martyr is willing to die for his convictions, for, for what he believes 
to be true. Martyreo. And John in this text says, I have seen and I have declared and testify almost under oath, the, the oath of God, that Jesus is in fact the Son of God. Now, witnesses in, in Jesus' day in court had to be credible people. They, they had to be people that had a reputation for being honest, being people of integrity, being, being people of good moral character, being righteous. And John was, was that guy. In fact, John the Baptist, he had staggering credibility when it came to integrity and truth. Let me tell you, let me give you a little background on John the Baptist. John the Baptist was recognized both by the Jews, his own people, and the Gentiles as a prophet from God, which means they, me- they recognized him as being morally righteous. He was, a, he was an honest, fair, truthful. He lived a, a disciplined spiritual life. He didn't eat exotic food. He didn't drink any alcohol. He was disciplined and structured in his life. The, the people of that day recognized that he was a prophet, that he was morally right. John's birth was announced by angels. Angels went to John's parents and said, you're going to have a son. Now, Jesus is the only other guy in the Bible that I know that that happened for. Did that happen to you? Did did angels go to your parents and say, hey, you're going to have a child and you're going to name him such and such? I don't think that happened. But it did with John. The angels went to to Elizabeth and Zacharias and said, you're going to have a son. His birth, actually his conception was a miracle. His mother Elizabeth was physically beyond childbearing years. She was barren. And it says that the Lord opened her womb to become pregnant. She couldn't have gotten pregnant in her old age. His birth and conception was a miracle. It says six months into his mother Elizabeth's pregnancy with him, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, visited them. And it says that when Elizabeth saw Mary, the mother of Jesus, that the baby, John, leaped in her womb. And it says that John was filled with the Holy Spirit while in his mother's womb. Now, how many of you, that happened to you? Come on. Right? I mean, you were filled with the Holy Spirit before you even came out of the womb. So what what kind of life did John the Baptist live from birth, having been filled already with the Holy Spirit of God? When John gets older, he continues to be a prophet and to speak truth. And there's a king in in Judea, and his name is Herod Antipas. And John publicly calls out Herod Antipas because he was living in an adulterous relationship with his brother Philip's wife. He had taken his brother's wife. And John said that publicly, that's not right, that's not moral, God condemns that. And because John the Baptist called the king out publicly, he threw him in prison. And eventually, that would be the reason that John was killed and martyred in prison because he called out the king. But listen, while John was in prison, before he was executed, Herod Antipas the king, the one that he had publicly condemned for being in an adulterous relationship, would often visit John in prison because he was intrigued by John's moral righteousness and integrity. It's one thing if your friends think you're a pretty honest person, a person of righteousness. It's another thing when your enemies recognize that you are a person of truth and a person of integrity. After John dies, Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus begins to to perform incredible, incredible miracles. Do you know who Herod Antipas, who had never met Jesus, do you know who Herod thought Jesus was? 
John the Baptist come back to life. He heard all these amazing stories about miracles and Jesus and what Jesus was doing. He thought this was John coming back to life. I mean, what did Herod Antipas think about John? This guy's a guy of incredible integrity and moral truth. How many of you think John was a pretty good witness? How many think John was pretty credible in a courtroom to say, I testify that this is true? John was maybe the greatest human witness ever for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he stands up and he says, by the Holy Spirit who showed me and gave me the message, I testify, I'm willing to die for this testimony, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, amen? But you know what? The the human testimony of Christ didn't end with John the Baptist. The human testimony, Witness, the human testimony of Jesus continues until today. And you know who stands up and says, I have seen and I testify that, that Jesus is the Son of God? You, all of Christ's followers. We are now the prophetic people of God. We are now the voice of God. We are now the witness of God in the world that says, I've been changed by Christ and I stand here and I can testify that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And God calls you to be a witness, so you need to be a credible witness, amen? You need to be a person of honesty, integrity, and moral righteousness. You need to be someone that people can believe by walking in truth. But the witness of Christ continues today through God's prophetic people, the church. That's the first witness. The second witness is the miracles of Jesus. The miracles of Jesus. God's calling to the witness stand to testify to who Jesus is. He calls John the Baptist, and then he he calls the miracles of Christ. John calls these miracles in his gospel signs. He calls them signs intentionally because they point to something. They point to the, the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. They reveal the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's what we read in verse 36. Jesus says, the testimony which I have is even greater than the testimony of John. It's even greater than human witness. For the works or the miracles which the Father has given me to accomplish, the the very miracles that I do, they do what? Say it again. They testify about me that the Father has sent me. The miracles that Jesus performed They didn't have a mouth, but they spoke. They didn't have an audible voice, but people heard. They heard a testimony. They heard a truth through the miracles that Jesus performed. They heard a voice say, this is my son. This is Jesus Christ, the the son of God, with every miracle that Jesus performed. Every miracle that Jesus performed had to be done by God. Whether it was changing water to wine, uh, whether it was healing a paralyzed person, whether it was raising someone from the dead, whether it was changing someone's heart, a a sinful, wicked person, and and changing the, the direction of their lives, whatever the miracle was, or the greatest miracle of all, raising himself from the dead. Whatever miracle that was required God to be a part of that. Do you know what the the greatest miracle of Jesus actually was? The resurrection from the dead. Now, when you read the New Testament, it, it says three different things about the resurrection. You'll read verses that say 
God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And you'll read verses that say the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. But you'll also read scriptures that say Jesus himself raised himself from the dead. It was clearly a work of the Trinity. The whole Trinity was involved in the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead. But but in John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus said this. He said this to the Jewish leaders. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. And John tells us that he explains Jesus wasn't talking about Herod's temple in Jerusalem. He wasn't talking about bricks and mortar. He was talking about the temple of his own body. He was talking about his flesh. Do you know what that means? Jesus prophesied not only his death, but his resurrection. And he raised his, I will raise it up. Like who can do, who could say, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise myself from the dead and actually pull it off? Like we could say that, right? But we couldn't pull it off. Only God could pull it off. The the, the greatest miracle Jesus ever performed was was his own resurrection. And he said, the miracles that the Father has given me to do, they testify. They are witnesses that I'm God. Did you know that there's no first century historical documents that disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Did you know that? There are none. There are stories. There are tales There are lores. Uh, Some say that uh, he's never died on the cross, that that he he passed out from blood loss and weakness, and they they took and they carried him to a tomb, and they put him in the tomb. And when he was in the tomb, he revived. And then then after being beaten and, and, and all that blood loss, somehow he woke up, and he had enough energy and strength to, by himself, from the inside of the tomb, roll that heavy stone away. Somehow Jesus had the power to do that. Some people say that that Jesus, his disciples came while he was in the tomb, somehow getting through the Roman soldiers, rolling the stone away, and stealing his body. There's another story that said that that they they went to the wrong tomb. They they didn't remember where they actually laid Jesus. And so they they went to the tomb, and, and the tomb was empty because that wasn't the tomb that they laid Jesus in. There There is no evidence that disproves the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if you're going to disprove the resurrection, then you have to have a body to say that there's the dead body. The dead body didn't rise from the dead. It's not up to we as Christians to prove the resurrection. We already have the facts on our side. We already know what happened to the body. It says that Jesus died on a cross. He was placed in a tomb. After three days, he, the Father, and the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. For 40 days, he walked on the earth, revealing himself in his resurrected body at one point to over 500 people in the same time, in the same place. He revealed himself as resurrected. And then after 40 days, he went back to heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. Let me ask you, where is the body? It's up there, right? We we know. We're not trying to, somebody prove to me that the resurrection didn't happen. And and there is no proof that it didn't happen. That's why there's no historical writings that are disproving. But that's not even the greatest evidence of the resurrection. Do you know what the greatest evidence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened? The church. The church being born and the church growing and expanding because the reality is nobody 
No human with a right mind, maybe someone that's mentally ill, but no one with a right mind would we be willing to be tortured, to be willing to, to, to be thrown in the Colosseum and have wild beasts devour you. No one would be willing to, to be put on a stake and burned alive. No one would be willing to be crucified upside down. No one would be willing to be imprisoned, to have all of your property taken from you. No one would be willing to be murdered for something that they knew was not true. Nobody. If the disciples took the body, if they knew that Jesus was dead and never raised from the dead, they never would have preached the gospel, been beaten, been imprisoned, and and died martyrs' deaths. But because Jesus Christ presented himself alive with many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days to his disciples, over 500 of them, they had the boldness and the courage to go out and declare, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. I've seen him. That, that could have got one amen right there. They, they had the boldness and the courage because they saw the resurrected Jesus to go out and say, you can, you can do whatever I want, but I've seen and I now testify that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God. They had the power to do that. Greatest miracle Jesus ever performed. But the miracles of Jesus didn't stop with the resurrection because the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ continue on. Oh, it, it may not be physically changing water to wine. I suppose that could happen. It, it may not be physically healing a leper of leprosy or physically raising from someone from the dead. But all of those things have happened spiritually in your life if you're a Christ follower. You have been changed from water to wine. You have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are no longer the person you were. You've been changed internally. That miracle testifies to the world that Jesus is alive. Like Jesus, when he walked the streets of Jerusalem and he he would encounter a leper, and lepers, when they walked through, they were so contagious, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean, and everybody got away from them so they wouldn't touch them. Can you imagine the shame the dishonor, the humility of a, of a leper as they walk those streets, never having physical contact, people running from them. And Jesus comes and he sets them free. He restores their dignity, their honor. He removes their shame. And Jesus Christ did that at the cross for you. If you are a Christ follower, he's abolished the shame in your life, the condemnation, the, the humility in your life. He's taken it all away through his blood, amen? And that miracle of what Christ has done in your life is a testimony. It testifies to people around you that Jesus Christ is real. And he may not be physically raising people from the dead. Maybe he is. I don't know. I'm not in parts of the world where that may be happening. But I know that if you are a Christ follower, you've been raised from death to life. You had no life, and suddenly you have spiritual life. Suddenly you know God. Suddenly the living Holy Spirit is living inside of you. You've gone from death to life, and that miracle continues to testify to the world that Jesus Christ is alive. You are a walking miracle, friends, and he continues to work in your life. And so you need to continue to share your story. You need to continue to talk about the miracles of Jesus, what he's doing in your life. Because not only did John the Baptist pass away and and the testimony continues through the church, but it also continues through the daily miracles that God does in your life that only Jesus could perform. The third witness called to the witness stand in this story is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It says in verse 37 that, that the Father himself testifies of Jesus. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit does. 
But it's the Father, as, as Jesus worked miracles, the Father ordained those, but it came through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And, and as the Father confirms and testifies about Jesus, he does it through the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's read the scripture, John 15, 26. When the Helper, the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. Again, the Father is doing it through the Holy Spirit. He will do what? Testify about me. The Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus. Moving into chapter 16, beginning in verse eight. Jesus said, and he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world. Who's the world? Is that just Christians? No, it's everybody. Everybody in the world. The Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they don't believe in me. In other words, the Holy Spirit's job is to help people understand that G who Jesus Christ is, that he's alive, that he's the Son of God. They, 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 they may not believe in him, but the Holy Spirit gives testimony about that. Uh, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you, you no longer see me. Jesus is no longer walking in a human body anymore, but the Holy Spirit testifies of his righteousness and sinlessness. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Have you ever wondered why someone in your life that isn't spiritually oriented, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not interested in spiritual things, all of a sudden, one day, they want to go to church. All of a sudden, one day, they want to go to a Bible study. All of a sudden, one day, you find that they're reading a Christian book or listening to Christian music or, or they're showing some type of interest for the first time in Christ. Why is that? Because there's a Holy Spirit that's working in the world, and he's convicting the world of their need for Jesus Christ. He's showing them the reality of the Lord Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the third witness talking to people about Christ. The fourth witness is the Bible, the Bible. The scriptures, whenever the scriptures are heard, whether it's read or listening to a sermon when the Bible is read or someone reads it for themselves, God speaks to them, testifies to them through the scriptures. Here's what we read in verse 39. Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it's these that do what? They testify about me. Did you know that every, every book in the Bible, all 66 books, there, there is something in every book that reveals who Jesus is? Something in every book. So, so Jesus had died on the cross. He'd been taken off the cross. He was put in the tomb, and, and he was resurrected from the dead. And the, all of the disciples haven't seen him yet, resurrected. So there's two disciples that are going from Jerusalem to a, a, city, a little town called Emmaus, about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And, and they're discouraged, but, but they're sort of hopeful because some people, some of the disciples said the tomb was empty, and so they're not sure. They haven't experienced Christ yet. So they're walking, and Jesus is incognito. They can't recognize him, and Jesus joins them on the road to Emmaus. And it says, don't you know what's been happening in Jerusalem? This prophet, Jesus of Nazareth, he came and they, we, we thought he was the Messiah, but they crucified him and he said he was gonna be raised from the dead, but, but, but even some of the disciples said, said, said that the tomb was empty, so we don't know. And it says, from that point, beginning with Moses, that's the first book of the Old Testament, going all the way through the prophets, through the books of the Bible, Jesus shared who he was. Every book of the Bible is filled with Jesus. The scriptures testify. They, they give a testimony as to who Jesus Christ is. A couple more scriptures about the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. It's God's word and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It points us in the right direction. 
Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints, marrow, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When it says the scripture judges your thoughts and your intentions in your heart, it means that he speaks to you. He's the judge and he talks to you about what's going on inside. The scriptures are living and active. The Holy Spirit through the scriptures reveals who God is and what his plan is and, and all of that. So as we, as we look at these four evidences, these four witnesses as to, as to who Jesus is, I want you to know that God continues to speak through all four of those means. He continues to speak through prophets, the church. He continues to speak through miracles, changed lives, and other miracles that God does. He continues to speak through the Holy Spirit, and he continues to speak through Scripture. But, but I, want to, I want you to read this verse, because Jesus says, if you close your heart to God, you won't hear that voice. You won't hear the witnesses. Listen, here's what he says. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You don't have his word abiding in you. Why? Because you don't believe him who he sent. You've already made the decision. So imagine with me for a minute, back to the, to the, the jury trial. You're on the jury, and the defendant hasn't even come out yet, and you've already heard some things or read things in the newspaper about him. You've already formed an opinion. And then he, he, he comes into the courtroom and you look at him and his hair's like all nasty and, and, and he hasn't shaved and his clothes are, are wrinkled and not ironed and you've already said, that dude's guilty. Okay, if you do that, you're gonna sit on the jury, they're gonna bring witnesses, they're gonna bring physical evidence, forensic truth, and, and you're, you're gonna close your heart. You're gonna say, I've already made a decision about him. I already know he's guilty or, or whatever. And Jesus said the same thing about spiritual truth. He said, if you already determined that Jesus Christ is some mythical character or, or didn't, wasn't God, if you already close your heart to that, you're not going to hear what the witnesses are saying. You're not going to see the evidence. But on the other hand, if your heart is open and if you will seek the truth about Jesus Christ, if you will listen to the witnesses of, of people that know God, the witnesses of the miracles that God is doing, the witness of Scripture and the witness of the Holy Spirit, God will speak his truth to you and you will hear it as long as you don't close your heart. Would you stand with me this morning? Where are you today? Maybe you've attended church, you grew up in church, you've been around Christian people, you know the Bible, but if you're honest, you've never encountered the resurrected Jesus. If you're honest, your heart has never been changed from water to wine. You've never experienced the transforming power of Christ by humbling yourself before him and asking him to forgive your sin. You've never done that. You've been religious, but not relational with God. And you would like today to experience and encounter the risen Christ, the one that's testified about by the Holy Spirit, by scripture, by miracles and by people. I want to invite you this morning. Would you close your eyes? And if that's you this morning, would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, God, I am so sorry. I, I had closed my heart to Jesus. I had assumed that it was a fairy tale, just a, a story in an old book, not, not realizing that there, are so, there is so much evidence, so much reality to the resurrection. Lord, I'm sorry. I, I, 
Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you came to the earth to die for my sin. I believe you were resurrected. I believe you love me. And I believe you can change me. So Lord, would you, right now, forgive me and save me. Transform my heart. Bring it from death to life. Make me a new person today, God. I want to I walk with you. I want to know you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, for the rest of us this morning, I, I pray, God, that you would help us to, to be the prophetic people that you've called us to be. Like John the Baptist and many that through the centuries have, have come forward and said, I've seen, I've, I've experienced, my, my heart's been changed. I testify as a witness, unafraid of death, unafraid of consequences. I've seen who Jesus Christ is, and I testify today that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh God, give us the boldness and courage to be your prophetic people. Amen. So may your heart be fully convinced of the truth of Jesus Christ. May your changed life be a miracle that continues to testify to those around you that Jesus Christ is real. And may the Holy Spirit empower you to go into all the world and be disciples of Christ who say, I've seen and testified that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. Have a great, great day today.